You're now tuned in to Life Song Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to accurately studying the Word of God in a comprehensive and biblical manner. Listen in as hosts Phil Ramsey and Blake Shankel dig into the Word line by line, verse by verse, leaving no stone unturned. Grab your Bible and your notebook and get prepared to study the living, breathing, active Word of God. Now, here are your hosts of Life Song Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of Life Song Radio. My name is Blake Shankel, and I do not have Mr. Phil Ramsey with me tonight. Mr. Phil is uh, sitting out tonight. He has... I don't, I don't want to say he's coming down with the 19. I don't. Hopefully that's not what it is. I usually don't use that term, but uh, I, I, don't, I think he's a little bit under the weather. But anyway, uh, I'm not alone, and I'll get to that here in just a second. But I am, uh, you'll notice if you're watching by video uh, via Facebook or YouTube, however we stream that, you'll notice that I'm not inside of a log home. You don't see deer heads behind me. You don't see our uh, our pictures of all my expeditions. In fact, you see a cross behind me. I am in the my church. I've had to move shop. Uh, there's a reason why that I've had to do that. Uh, that I uh, don't have phone service. I live in a log home. Uh, the Verizon does not make its way through those logs very well. So I've had to move uh, the whole, the whole, uh, um, really the set to come down here and to the church so I can have service, so I can have uh, internet service. And there's a reason why I need phone service, because I'm not alone. I have a special guest with me to, today, and uh, his name is Pastor Jim Osmond. He is the author of God Doesn't Whisper. We've actually talked about this book. We've actually talked a little bit about Jim Osmond, but I want to welcome Pastor Jim Osmond. Jim, good to, good to have you on. Um, Blake, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, we, uh, I have to tell this story about Jim real quick, just kind of how we got this going, uh, this this kind of relationship. I, uh, I, We are part of the Christian podcast community, and uh, as well as Jim is as well. And uh, his, uh, he, he, he broadcast his sermons from Kootenai Community Church on there. And I, and I heard him, and I was listening because he was teaching uh, through Hebrews, and I'm like, man, this guy is really good. This this is what I've been searching for. You know, I, I listen to MacArthur and and you know Sproul and these guys, but Jim is is teaching through this Hebrew and he's ta- he's speaking. We've been in Romans eleven for a while and and we were we were discussing uh, the the future of Israel and 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 just kind of uh, uh, what's going to happen there. And Jim's in in Hebrews, I think it was eight uh, I, or maybe thirteen, I can't remember. But anyway, he was in there and and he was talking about just kind of the 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 the, uh, the future of Israel and it was just wonderful to hear that. So uh, that. That got me turned on, and then I listened to, he was on a podcast with Andrew Rappaport, and Andrew's a part of this. He's actually the owner of, uh, or the, the administrator of Christian Podcast Community, and I heard him, and they were, they were introducing this book. God doesn't whisper, and I thought, my goodness, this is great. This is wonderful. So I ordered the book. I read it. I was excited about it, and I sent it to a picture, and I sent it to my buddies at uh, Wretched Radio, Jimmy, our, our old Jimmy and Mike, and I sent it to him. I said, "You guys have to read this," and uh, uh, it wasn't. 
it wasn't it wasn't two seconds later jimmy said yeah jim osmond's my my friend <laughs> oh jimmy jam <laughs> oh jimmy jam he's my friend and so anyway uh i was like no way you're you're lying next thing you know text from jim osmond man and, and it was great so anyway jim that's kind of the the quick connection i reached out to you uh just uh, to thank you for your book and so jim uh, again uh just it's crazy how uh, the providence of god right yeah uh, yeah, it is, and I appreciate you reaching out, and I'm glad that the book had an impact on you and was an encouragement to you. Absolutely, and 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 that's the so that's the thrust of of our of our podcast today. We're going to take a step back from Romans. We've been in Romans for quite some time. We're just going to we're just going to take a break. We're going to put take a little time out. I want to I want to interview Jim uh, and and kind of bring light to this book. We Jim uh, Phil and I have talked about this book a little bit, um, but but it's so great to have the author on here and to try to figure out. What was the thrust of writing this? And, and then he just has so much knowledge when it comes to this. But, but Jim, uh, tell me, first of all, I, I've talked enough, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your ministry. Well, I'm a middle-aged man trying to hang on to whatever hair I've got left. I don't know what <laughs> else there is to say other than that. I, um, I pastor a small church up in rural North Idaho, about an hour south of the U.S.-Canadian border. So I'm over here on the other side of the country. And uh, I've been pastoring since 1996 when I was 24 years old, and, and um, the Lord has blessed the ministry here and been very gracious to, uh, uh, to us as a church, and um, I'm just I'm grateful to be serving Him. I went to a small Bible college up in Canada, and um, Pambrin, in Pambrin, Saskatchewan, to uh, Miller College of the Bible, and that's where I cut my teeth on doctrine and, and got dis- uh, disabused of many of the false doctrines and bad ideologies that I had picked up early in my Christian life and had been exposed to. And uh, this this notion that God speaks to us in whispers and impressions and promptings and nudgings and and the like signs etc. Uh, that was one of those ideas that I had picked up early in my Christian life that um, God eventually used Bible college to uh, get me get me out of that idea or that idea out of me I should say yeah absolutely uh, and, and you talk a little bit about that book and, and I would say that's kind of the 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 thrust of uh, or that's it really at the beginning of this book is as you talk about that experience within Bible college of, of you having this experience of of um, this we're going to call it we're going to use it the HVG or but hearing the voice of God uh, theology here and, and so you have that little bit of background if you will because you've experienced it right? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, when you, the Bible college that I was that I went to was a be a non-denominational or interdenominational Bible college. It, it really didn't have any kind of a denominational attachment, mm-hmm. and so uh, we had students there who were some of them come out of Pentecostal backgrounds, some of them were Baptist, some of them Evangelical Free Mennonite. Um, you know, name redacted, and, and no, no, just community Bible churches. And so, as as the students get collected into an atmosphere like that, there's a tendency for everybody to sort of bring their theology, their background, their ideas into the dorm. And I started to be exposed to and hear a bunch of, uh, in some cases, bad theology in the discussions that we had. And I was exposed to a lot of kids who um, their way of making decisions was to wait for God to whisper in their heart and their mind uh, uh, some sort of a nudging or a prompting. And um, when I was there for first year, I, I was trying to make a decision to come back for second year. And I started asking God to give me a sign, give me, you know, show me, show me what your will is. I don't, I didn't want to not do the will of God. I wanted to do God's will. And, and I had already put off going to a secular university, get a degree in another field uh, for the sake of going to Bible college for a year. My intention was to 
to leave Bible college after one year and then go to a secular university. But I became so hungry for the truth in that one year of teaching and so hungry to learn more theology that I wanted to come back for a second year. But I didn't know if that was God's will or not. So I started to pray and, and ask God to reveal this to me. I mean, I waited for the still small voice. I, I was looking for signs, you know, something uh, written in the snow, um, uh, a sign in the heavens, uh, a nudging or a prompting. I, I would sit alone in my room and listen for the voice of God, waiting to try and hear some sort of an audible voice. I, I, I was looking for everything, open and closed doors. And I was getting increasingly frustrated as the school year was drawing to a close because a lot of my uh, students, fellow students, were they were using language like, well, the Lord revealed to me or the Lord showed me that I was supposed to come back next year or now the Lord's just leading me in a different direction. I'm going to go off to a different university or the Lord's not leading me to come back. Uh, what what am I missing? And I got, I got frustrated to the point of starting to question my own salvation. Why am I not hearing this voice? Why am I not getting this this direction? And, and there was nobody on campus that wanted to know what God's will was for their life more than me. And there's probably no one on campus that was begging God to reveal himself more than I was. And I was li- listening and sitting quietly and, and, you know, trying not to sin and trying to cultivate this relationship with the Lord. And, and I, I didn't hear anything. I became increasingly frustrated and that started me on the path of doubting whether that's really how God speaks to us and really how God wants us to make decisions. Um, and ultimately, truth is not determined by my, by my experience that I didn't hear the voice of God. That's not the case that I'm making. Um, but that, that frustration over me not hearing any kind of clear direction was what started me to, to, to question whether or not that is really how God intends to direct our steps in this life as we, as we walk with Him. Jim, that is, uh, you know, so what, I guess the question is, is what was the thrust of behind writing this book? You know, I mean, you, you have these experiences, but what was the, you know, what was the catalyst behind, you know, saying, I, I need to pin this down, I need to put this in an apologetic book, and I need to get this out in masses, because I would say, I mean, this is, this needs to be on everybody's shelf, but, but. Was it a still small voice that told you to write this book? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was no, right? This, there's a long, it's a, the cattle, I'll try and make a very long yeah. story very short. Okay. But this was supposed to be the first book that I wrote. Um, so what had happened is when I started pastoring a church, I would have people come up and, and ask me about the still small voice and how does God lead us and how do I make decisions, etc. And so by the time I had started to um, pastor the church, so this is probably, uh, you know, five, six years after I had, had started to question um, this theology. I had, in that six years, I had kind of come to the conclusion uh, that, that I had come to in this book. And I was already at the point where um, I, I was not believing that God speaks to us outside of Scripture, and I had already rejected a lot of the methodology that I critiqued in the book. But people were asking me about it. So what I did is I wrote a series of articles in our church newsletter, and I put them up online. And it was just called Hearing the... There's a series of articles called Hearing the Voice of God. Well, it became one of the most downloaded series of articles that I had on our website. And um, when I started to get feedback from people and emails from people, well, at the same time, we were in the middle of a building program, and I wanted to publish a book as a fundraiser for our church building program because we were renting a facility and, and doing it as we could pay for it. And we're in that facility now, so awesome. um, we're no longer in, in need of a fundraiser for that, but we've moved into our, our facility. So I was writing, I said to my wife, um, I would like to write a book on uh, and publish it and use it as a fundraiser. What do you think? And she said, yeah, I think you should do the Voice of God series. And I agreed with her. I, I picked that series of articles up, and it, it had been dormant for, I don't know, five, six, seven years or something like that. And I was started to revise those, but at the time I was writing another series of articles on spiritual warfare and a lot of the bogus stuff that goes on in the spiritual warfare mm-hmm. movement, like binding Satan and 
praying hedges of thorns and rebuking the devil and claiming territory, spiritual mapping and all this nonsense. And so I, it was just too much to, to write this book or to, to revise those articles and turn it into a book and to write the series on spiritual warfare and to prepare a sermon every week. So I dropped the hearing the voice of God thing and just wrote the book on spiritual warfare. And as, as the Lord would have it, I wrote two other books in the meantime. And, and finally I got to this one. I went back and revisited those articles and realized that the quality of writing and the depth that I had gone into was not nearly what I wanted in a book um, that was going to go up on Amazon and be available to everybody. Uh, so I revamped the entire series and, and rewrote it from scratch, basically. And, and this 300-page book is the fruit of that. My desire was simply to get something in writing that would, as comprehensively as I possibly could, deal with this theology. The assumptions behind it, the practices that people uh, go into, you know, hearing the still small voice, um, seeing scripture verses jump off the page at them, making decisions based upon signs and open and closed doors, putting out a fleece, having a peace in your heart, mm. feeling led, uh, visions and dreams, all of that. I wanted to deal with all of those subjects and then to kind of wrap it up with answering some questions and objections about how is it then that we do make decisions. So I it just, it took me, this was probably a three or four year writing project from start to finish. And I just wanted it to be as, as punchy, as concise, and as, as theologically grounded and exegetically sound and and comprehensive as I possibly could. So this, uh, that was the goal behind it, is to kind of correct it. I mean, for, for years I had promoted this, this thinking, this theology, and so this was kind of my mea culpa to the Christian Church of correcting something that I had promoted years ago. Well, you've you've done you've you have captured that you have I think you have obtained your goal. I hope you would be excited about what you've done here. I know we are. I I, I would think this is a book that would be needs to be upon every pastor's uh, uh, if not bookshelf is sitting upon the desk at the very edge, ready to give to the next person. Because because and Thank here's you. why I say that because this is language, Jim. That is. That is rampant. Not hey, we're not talking charismatic. Yes, we know it's in there. We're not talking just Pentecostal. We're talking Southern Baptist, really just mm-hmm. even Reformed churches. I mean, this is prevalent. Yeah. This you know this use of language that we're going to be talking about. This hearing the voice of God, correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 you know what I was targeting in the book was not necessarily Pentecostals and, and charismatics. And when I sat down to write it, one of the challenges was was trying to find the niche or the target that I was going after, because I realized that there is this massive spectrum of people who believe that God speaks to us. On the, on the one extreme, you've got the New Apostolic Reformation with prophets, quote-unquote prophets, like Bill Johnson, Todd Bentley, and Todd White, and these guys who think that they're getting visions and dreams on a daily or weekly basis where God is revealing to them new information, new revelation that is, is authoritative and and uh, binding is anything in Scripture. You know, they, these are modern-day prophets on par with the apostles. That's, that's on one extreme. And then as you move across the spectrum, you come across Word of Faith people who that line between Word of Faith and NAR is quickly being uh, blurred. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got Word of Faith people, and then, you, you know, then you've got your Charismatics, and you've got Pentecostals who are a little bit more conservative than that. You know, there's that big spectrum. And then on the other side, you've got uh, people who would be cessationist in their theology, if you ask them if they believe in modern apostles, they would they would rightly reject the charismatic word of faith and new apostolic reformation movements. And so they would say, no, no, I'm, I'm cessationist. You know, I'm a Southern Baptist, it's the, only the Bible is authoritative, sola scriptura, that's, that's the camp that they would say that they're in. 
But then they would use language and, and employ practices like, well, the Lord is leading me. I just felt the Lord told me, and, and the Lord's directing me, and, and I just felt the nudging, and so that's what I'm going to take as God's speaking to me. Their practices are non-cessationist. They're not Reformed practices. They're not non-charismatic practices. Even though they would say, theologically, that they're in that cessationist camp, they're not actually in practice in the cessationist camp. And so what I ended up targeting the book for was not to deal with charismatics, Pentecostals, New Apostolic Reformation, or Word of Faith. I'm really targeting the little, the little old Southern Baptist lady sitting in the pew who would rightly reject all of those extremes of the, cessation, of the non-cessationist camps. She would rightly reject all of that, but at the same time, she is, she is making decisions every week based upon what she thinks God is whispering in her ear. And I'm really targeting that very niche group of people to demonstrate that these practices that we, that we assume are biblical, some of the assumptions that go into it, as well as the practices themselves, these are patently unbiblical, and the, the verses that are cited and employed to prop up some of these methods, quote-unquote, for hearing from God, these are verses ripped out of their context that teach nothing close to what the uh, hearing the voice of God crowd says that they teach. And and a lot and a lot of this, even just so going to the Southern Baptist. I mean, it, it, we have been inundated with uh, Lifeway has been the, the the greatest, but just been inundated with these uh, hearing the voice of God theology. The authors. Uh, I mean, it's it's upon. Like I said, I, I think we were talking prior to the the show was I went back to look to see if some of these authors were actually on some of our bookshelves. You know, the, these these yeah, and, and I don't you know, and I go to a pretty sound church, but yet, but that just shows you how ingrained that this has become with inside just uh, just a regular just uh, Bible believing church. You know, and and it comes down to like you said, it's we're not we're not. Targeting the Todd Watts and Whites of, of the of the generation here, that, that's easy. You know, those are set up on a pretty t- on a tee pretty easy. We're talking targeting people that it, it might come to a shock, but uh, the Priscilla Shires, the Rick Warrens, the the Beth Moores. Now we we have our other issues with them as well, but they have promoted this type mm-hmm. of theology. And and here's one here's one that that's really the darling of the Southern Baptist Convention or the Southern Baptist is Charles Stanley. Yeah, yeah, and Henry Blackaby, and and yes. um, you know those were books that I had passed out and used in the early years. Those men, Charles Stanley has a book, How to Listen to God, and of course Henry, Henry Blackaby's book has probably done more to spread non-cessationist theology amongst Southern Baptists than any other single book that that I know of that's been published in the last forty or fifty years. He has he has single-handedly, and then. And I think I mentioned this in the book. Lifeway's almost blitzkrieg-like mm. promotion of that book mm. among Southern Baptist churches has done more to undermine belief in the sufficiency of Scripture, and done more to promote this listening for God in the recesses of my mind, my thoughts, my nudgings, and promptings or desires than any other thing that has ever been promoted in Southern Baptist circles. And that book and is experiencing that, that God. Lack of discernment. I'm sorry. That that book is experiencing God, right? That that that's the yeah, book. That's right. or, yeah, yep. sorry. Experiencing God. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, that book, experiencing God, is the uh, his book is, has done more to promote that theology than than anything else that has been than has been churned out by Lifeway. I mean, I, I think obviously Lifeway would probably also promote the writings of Priscilla Schreier and Beth Moore, but Henry Blackaby opened up the opened up the gates and made them into floodgates through which Beth Moore's writings and Priscilla Schreier's writings. And uh, that, that they could come. 
and and they have done I, I think damage to people's view and perspective of, of who God is and what how he how he speaks to us absolutely I would think so too so you know we're dealing with and we, we've talked a little bit about this but but just we're dealing with this if you're listening today and and, and maybe you're guilty of this as well and, and I'm guilty. I'm, I am I am guilty of using this, and I think I I think it's a from a knee jerk reaction from the most part is maybe I'm not giving God all the glory that He should deserve, you know. So I say these things, but maybe not thinking the ramifications of that. If I'm saying this, is it even true? But but uh, we we hear so many pastors today, and, and so many just church going people, Jim, alike that say the Lord told me. You know, the Lord told me this, or God spoke to me this morning. You know, and I yeah. and I've I've come to the realize that we joked about this over the other day. I was like, "What did he sound like? <laughs> you know, what did well, I, like, was he gravelly? Was his voice gravelly? <laughs> you know, what did uh, what did it sound like? You know, but but uh, are, are these? I guess the question is: Is the people that hear that are they are they more spiritual than me? I think this was the the kind of the thing that you were kind of wrestling with. But are they more spiritual than me? Have I heard? Did I just miss it, Jim? Or or, or is that you know? Does does God speak to us today? Yeah. yeah. Can you? This is your your question. Did I miss it, or can I miss it? You're assuming something there with the question that I, I want your listeners. I want our listeners to be thinking about this. Sure. You're assuming something about the question, and that is the possibility that God could try and speak to you and fail to accomplish that task. Mm. That God could try to get a message to you, Blake. But because you are distracted or busy or not listening, that you would miss his you would miss his communicate. Now, I want you to ask yourself, is there any record in scripture anywhere where God tried to speak to somebody but that person did not hear him, where God could not get his message through? You know, first of all, the whole idea that God could try and speak to us and, and fail to do so means that God lacks either his he's either lacks in sovereignty or he lacks in in power or he lacks in wisdom or knowledge in some way that God, God cannot try to do anything. He cannot try. And because trying, the idea of trying uh, implies the possibility of failure and God cannot fail because he is sovereign, all powerful, all knowing, all wise and, uh, and omniscient. God cannot fail at anything. So there's no example in scripture of God trying to speak to somebody, but that person not being able to hear him or even God trying to speak to somebody and that person not understanding him or not um, receiving that message. The closest thing you can get, and this is not even close when you look at the text, is First Samuel, where the Lord speaks to Samuel, and Samuel goes to Eli and says, what, what do you want? I heard you calling me. Well, you'll notice that, that Samuel heard him, heard the voice, and he understood the voice. He just did not understand who the source of the voice was. And it was because it says that a word from God was infrequent in those days, was rare in those days. So Samuel had no problem hearing God speak or hearing um, and understanding what God was saying. He just didn't understand that the voice that he heard was God and not Eli speaking to him. That's the only thing that's even close to that. But that's not even what we, we mean when we ask the question, you know, is God trying to speak to me and I'm just not hearing it? By that word, we mean that, um, you know, you, I, could be, I could be reading Scripture and I could be having impressions and thoughts and nudgings and promptings and seeing signs and hearing lyrics and songs and seeing images on the billboards and God's trying to get his message to me but failing to do so because I'm just oblivious to it or I haven't learned to tune into his voice. There's no example in scripture of that ever happening. 
So I would suggest that the reason that you did not hear the voice of God is because God wasn't speaking to you. And if God's not speaking to you, then there's nothing you can do to hear him say anything. Because it's, if, if he's not speaking, there's no discipline that you can adopt. There's no, there's no ability that you can acquire or that you can cultivate to enable you to hear if something that God is saying if God is not speaking. And conversely, if God is speaking to you, there's no way you can miss it. Because God will make sure that the person to whom he is speaking will hear and understand it. Well, I would say that's a big weight. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying, I think that's a big weight (laughs) off my shoulder (laughs) to know that I haven't missed that. And to know that if if he is trying to communicate to me, then I would be able to hear that. I mean, what a a point you made, though, is is the, the sovereign God of the universe. Guess what? If he wants to get your attention, there ain't... He's going to get our attention. There, there's no trying to it. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, he can't fail in that task, and therefore he, he's not going to, you're not going to miss it if he is communicating to you, if he's speaking to you. Because there's no example in Scripture of yeah. that ever happening. Nothing in Scripture says God ever tries to communicate with us. In fact, nothing in Scripture says God ever tries to do anything. So he doesn't try to do anything. God does. That's That's a good point. And... So that I mean that 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 just should that should just allow that weight to just fall off our you know just would fall off of us and say man that that that's yeah. good okay and so you know I, I think one of the things but that, then Blake mm-hmm. Blake before you before you go on to the next thing there's another there's another question yeah. you asked here that I haven't answered and that is regarding the vernacular that God told me mm. God led me God's mm. showing me He's revealing to me He spoke to me etc. There is something in within Christianity and it's, uh, I don't. I don't. I haven't traveled the world enough to know if it's just a Western Christianity phenomenon or not. But inside of most churches, there is a vernacular that we use, a Christianese, a language that we use um, when we're trying to describe things. So most people, when they're reading scripture and they've never seen, they've read through this passage in John's Gospel, you know, a dozen times, but they've never seen this jump off the page where Jesus claims to be the I Am. And, you know, it's just so clear all of a sudden they see it like they've never seen it before and it becomes obvious to them. People will use this, this God speaking to me language to say, no, the Lord just, the Lord showed me today. He spoke to me and showed me that Jesus Christ is God today. Well, what you saw, what you got was illumination. It wasn't revelation. And because we have, we have not trained our people to distinguish between, um, brand new revelation, God speaking, and God opening our eyes and our hearts to what he has already spoken, that those two things are two different things, because we have not trained people to understand the difference between those, they, they blend those things together. Or when they, they feel strongly in their heart they, that they should pray about something, or somebody's just on their heart, rather than saying, man, I just felt burdened to pray for this person, or I just couldn't get this person out of my mind. They'll say, the Lord was telling me to pray for that person. Well, no, the Lord wasn't necessarily telling you to do that. Just because you feel a burden about something might be just that you, in your subconscious mind, you just can't get this out of your mind. You're wrestling with something or whatever. It might be the Holy Spirit who is, who is using that in order, to, in order to move you to do that, directing your heart in such a way as to do that, but that's not God speaking to you. So I try and emphasize with people, we need, need to use biblical language to communicate biblical truth. So when we talk about illumination, let's talk about illumination. When we talk about conviction, you know, I'm reading scripture, suddenly I, I do something, and then I felt this deep conviction, oh, I've sinned in doing this, I shouldn't have done that. Well, that's not the Lord telling me that I have sinned. That's the Lord convicting me. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So we need to use biblical language to describe the emotions that we have, the thoughts that we have, the inclinations that we have. And rather than chalking up every 
spiritual experience that we have to God spoke to me or God told me or God revealed to me, we ought to use these biblical categories of illumination, being burdened, you know, um, uh, desiring certain things because I desired to go back to Bible college. I wouldn't say that that was God speaking to me and telling me to go back to Bible college. I would say that the Lord laid this on my heart. The Lord gave me this desire to do it, and I pursued the desires of my heart because I believe that God had given me those desires. Um, but I would never use the language that, well, God just spoke to me and told me that that's what I was to do. That, that's an unbiblical terminology that we use. And, and in order to honor God, I think we need to use biblical terminology to describe and to communicate biblical truth. Well, when we, <clears throat> that's a great point, but we, and when we, we use terms like that, when God spoke to me, what we're doing is, is we're saying, thus saith the Lord. So what we're, we're doing right. is, is we're, we're equating that, that has the same weight as the Bible. You know, when we say, hey, right. God told me this, then that, that really should be in Scripture. Because, you know, people, people who are in that camp will very quickly say, well, yeah, God speaks to me, but it's not on the same level as Scripture. It's not as authoritative as Scripture. It's not inerrant, and it's not infallible. And so I, I like to walk people through a, a simple exercise. Is, is Scripture inerrant and infallible and authoritative because it's old? And you'd say, well, no, um, it's not just because it's old. Okay, well, is Scripture inerrant and authoritative and infallible because it's written down? And, well, not, that's not what makes it authoritative, because a lot of things are written down. Mm-hmm. Is Scripture inerrant and authoritative and infallible because it came through apostles and prophets? Is that what makes it Scripture? Is that what gives it those qualities? And the answer to that is no. It's not because it came through those particular men. They were not more pious than we are in terms of being, you know, pure or sinless or without original sin. What makes Scripture authoritative, infallible, and inerrant? The only thing that makes it those things is that God has spoken it. That gives it those qualities. Okay, so if God has spoken Scripture, and that's what makes Scripture, gives Scripture those qualities, then tell me, how is it possible for God to speak and it not be inerrant? Hmm. How is it possible for God to speak and it not be authoritative and it not be um, infallible? How can God speak a fallible word or an errant word or a non-authoritative word? He cannot. Right. So therefore, if, if, the, if the thoughts that you have in your head, you're going to say God's speaking these, but they're not on the level of Scripture, then explain to me how it is that God can speak a non-authoritative, non-inerrant, and non-infallible word. He cannot. If God speaks it, it has those qualities by default because it's His word. It's what God has spoken. And therefore, it must be on par with Scripture. It, it cannot be otherwise. Well, and and so w- what you said earlier was we just need to be we we have to be first of all be very careful. It, we may not u- we might use those terms we use those terms loosely within the church, and and we need to be very careful. We need to use biblical terms, providence of God, you know, we, we, you know, yep. th- things like that, such as that. And you you talk about those things, but and and I really like what you said. I think it was it. it this is not an attack upon Granny in the pew. This is this is no. not to this. You're not trying to rob us of joy. This this was a quote from your book. You weren't trying to rob us of joy and intimacy with God. That that wasn't your t- intention, correct? No, not at all. No, I, I'm I want to liberate people from an unbiblical paradigm. Yeah, so that they can rejoice and understand and be liberated by the truth. Yeah, and I think that there are people that there are people who think that their personal that, that how would I say this? There are people who who think that their hearing from God, their nudgings and promptings are so precious to them that that's their connection to God. That's their intimacy. It's Mm. the measure 
and the experience of their intimacy with God. You get this in Priscilla Schreier's writings, and when she speaks about this, Beth Moore describes this. She she describes herself going out and making snowmen in the snow with Jesus, and and just I love him so much, and I'm so it's so intimate. It's this these these feelings that they have, these inclinations and the thoughts that pop into their head. The fact that God is speaking to them that personally and that intimacy intimately is the measure of their relationship, their maturity, and their intimacy with God. And then along comes, uh, you know, gruff, grumpy Jim Osmond and says, you know, maybe God is not speaking to you authoritatively through every nudging and prompting that pops into your head, every billboard sign you walk by on the street, or the song lyric that you hear on the radio at the Chinese restaurant at lunch. Maybe those things are not the communications of God. And, and then they feel like you have, you have robbed them of something. You've robbed them of the intimacy. And people react that way. Who are you to say that God's not speaking to me? I was intimate with God, and, and, and now I don't have that intimacy because now I'm not hearing from Him. Well, intimacy is in Scripture in understanding the depth and truth of what God has done for us in the Gospel and through Christ and growing in our, in our love for Him and holiness as He has revealed Himself in His Word. That is the channel of intimacy with God. What people feel, what people do is they, they take their feelings and they invest those feelings and they put onto those feelings this this connection, this intimacy with God. And then when you, you take it away and say, that's not how God speaks to us, they feel like you've robbed them of this precious relationship. Hmm. And that's not my goal at all. My goal is to say, this is not how God is speaking to you. You have something far better, far more sure, more complete, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and far more precious in the written Word of God than you have in your thoughts, nudging, promptings, impressions, and signs. And, um, and I, I tell people, if you would, I've said this from the pulpit before, would you rather have the book of Amos, or would you rather have God speak to you through an impression, a prompting, or a nudging? Yes. And if you say that I would rather have God in the impression, the prompting, and the nudging, you're giving the opposite answer that the Apostle Peter would have given hmm. in Second Peter chapter 1, when he says, we have the more sure prophetic word. That is better than any experience we can have. So if you would choose the prompting over Amos, you're making the wrong choice. Because what is written down in Scripture, what God has given to us in those 66 books, authoritative, infallible, and inerrant Scripture, is more than sufficient. And I want, I want people to, to cling yeah. to and rest upon the sufficiency of Scripture uh, in God's Word, and not their experiences and their nudgings, promptings, and feelings. And I, and I would say Peter had a pretty good experience there upon the Mount of Transfiguration, wouldn't you say? Yeah, the best one. He heard the <laughs> audible voice of God from heaven. There's nothing. I mean, that that's far is far superior yep. to anything that people today say that they've had. You know, in, yeah. in, in this camp, I guess you, the New Apostolic Reformation, they say yeah. they hear the audible voice all the time. But um, you know, that that's far greater than anything we're talking about in just. Uh, you know, I saw the verse jump off the page, or I got a phone call and somebody said a phrase, and I took that as God speaking to me. And um, yeah, Peter heard the audible voice, mm. and he said, oh, "We have the prophetic word made more sure." That's... It was better to have the written word of God than even that experience. What a means of grace that God has given us, and He has given us with sixty-six books of His, and, and infallible. And, and so, and if you have a copy of the Bible and you had God's word, I mean, it is more sure. I mean, it is something it's something to hold on to. It, that that is the word of God. And that's what we talk about all the time is sola scriptura. Yeah. You know, just just this right. this this scripture alone. That that is it is uh, for life and godliness, right? I mean, it is sufficient for all things as as Timothy 
Timothy, as Paul talks about in in, in Timothy, and and so uh, you know, that that that's the that's the thrust. That's what you're trying to get us back to is is in this book is is, is trust Scripture. Uh, go to Scripture. Don't don't rely. First of all, we don't need to be relying on our feelings. Jeremiah talks about the heart is wicked above all things, right? I mean, it's deceitful, and and so we we don't need to trust our feelings for nothing, especially promptings and and nudges and stuff. And you and you and you capture that. So we you know it's it, it all goes back to the Word of God, the written down Word of God. And so uh, you yep. know you know let, let, let me I'm not going to change subjects, but let's kind of just let me I'm going to push it forward just a little bit. But in a, in a nutshell, give me what is. I call it. We call it, you call it HVG teaching. Explain HVG first of all. But what is what is the what is in a nutshell? What is it? Okay, so I I use the term HVG, um, and there's actually an internet video of a guy critiquing. Um, there was an internet video about my book that where the guy somebody it was the the polite reader I think is his name, and he came out and then endorsed my book and said really kind things about it. And then somebody else came out and critiqued it and said, this guy uses HVG as if there's a whole actual theological camp where we use this of ourselves. And I've never claimed that uh, Charles Stanley and Rick Warren, any of those guys use the phrase HVG. It was my shorthand way of referring to it because I got about four chapters into this and I I kept thinking, I can't just keep using the phrase, hearing the voice of God theology. I mean, that's just going to make this a 900-page book by the time I get done with it. I need to shorten it up. So I just used HVG for hearing the voice of God. So it's just my shorthand for that whole theology um, that says that, um, number one, that I need to hear from God outside of Scripture, that I should expect to hear from God outside of Scripture, and that I need to learn to hear from God outside of Scripture. Um, and, and then th- that's really the, the three assumptions behind it is that be- I can't make any decisions as a pastor or a husband or a, a leader or even as a, just an obedient Christian unless I'm able to hear God's personal, regular promptings and to hear these things outside of Scripture and discern the signs so that I can walk in God's day-to-day uh, guidance of me. That's the first one, that I need to hear this. Second, that I should expect to hear from God because God is a communicating God. He'll always communicate. He's going to communicate to me, and so, you know, Jesus uh, promised that his sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. When Jesus said that, that's a promise to me that if I'm his sheep, I'm going to regularly hear him speaking to me uh, outside of Scripture. And then that third assumption that I must learn to hear it. It's a, a discipline that we have to um, be involved in. It's a, an ability that we have to cultivate. That idea is part of that. Those are all part and parcel of that HBG theology. I need it, I should expect it, and so I need to learn how to cultivate that ability to hear God. Hmm. And then the methodology that I critique, um, there's a number of them, and the methodology varies from person to person. I think Charles Stanley lays out, I think, six ways that God speaks to us. Henry Blackaby has, I don't know, five. Uh, Dallas Willard has half a dozen, and they vary a little bit. There's a lot of overlap, depending on what author you're talking about, but so I kind of I kind of put all of the methodologies into some, some sort of broad categories. Um, one of them is I, I heard the still small voice, and usually people make much out of uh, out of Elijah in that passage in First Kings of him hearing the still small voice, and and that's usually what falls into that is any idea that I have that pops into my head, just sort of an impression, a hunch, um, something laid on my heart, a nudging, something I just feel inclined to do this, a desire. Any of those things could be regarded as the still small voice or even hearing a word pop into your head. Uh, you know, you're driving down the street and, and you hear the word uh, Susie in your head. All of a sudden, Susie pops into your head. Is that the still small voice? 
So I, I talk about that in a chapter. The ver- uh, 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 another methodology that HBG proponents and teachers uh, and advocates use is the, the, uh, a verse jumping off the page. You know, you're reading through Scripture, and all of a sudden there's a phrase that just sort of pops off of the page, and it takes on its own personal meaning for me, unrelated to its context, unrelated to the Holy Spirit's intention, unrelated to the original author's intention, but something that I make out of that phrase. It could be just a, you know, I, I use the, the, I see the phrase, um, uh, um, the, the, something about children in Scripture, and all of a sudden I say, well, that must be God's answer to me working in children's ministry. That, that idea of children just popped off the page, so that's God telling me to get into children's ministry. Um, and then God giving people signs. Does God speak to us through billboards and, and uh, you know, music lyrics and uh, um, shapes of, in the clouds, things like that? People have taken that as the voice of God. Um, what does Scripture say about open and closed doors? Some people regard, you know, if I have an open door, an opportunity to do something, and, and there's no adversaries there, that I should be able to, to walk through that door, and that must be God leading me. Or if I meet resistance and I'm trying to make a decision, I meet resistance on a path or a project, that must be God putting up a door, closing a door, and I'm, I'm not supposed to walk through that. Um, putting out a fleece, I don't know if you've ever heard people use that. Um, you know, I, I just prayed and said, Lord, if you want A, then, then make this happen. If you want B, make this happen. And so you, you wait to see what happens, and you take that as the authoritative voice of God and giving you direction. A lot of people say that an internal peace, you can't make a decision if you're at all unrest about it. You have to have a peace in your heart about the issue before you, you go forward with it. Um, I deal with the phrase, I felt led, the idea that, um, you know, I just felt led to do this. So just a strong inclination is therefore the voice of God. Hmm. Um, Paul says that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. He says that in Galatians 5 and Romans 8. So what does that mean, to be led by the Spirit of God? I deal with that in a chapter. And then um, does God speak to us through dreams? Uh, Jack Deere, who's probably the most charismatic of all the authors that I critique in this book, he makes a lot out of dreams. He talks about how God has given us all each our own personal dream vocabulary so that there are signs and symbols and dreams that the Holy Spirit uses. And, and we ought to wake up in the middle of the night and write down our dreams because we don't want to miss something that God might be speaking to us. And so um, I deal with that in a chapter. Uh, and then in a chapter, I deal with uh, Muslim visitations, whether God is, whether Jesus is showing up dressed in white to convert Muslims in, in Muslim lands. So that, that's kind of the package of what HBG theology is and uh, what I deal with in the book. Yeah, that that last one you <clears throat> you mentioned, it was in, we, you and I had a conversation about this, but it wasn't too long ago, and, and I'm not going to bring too much light to it. But we had a, I had a, listened to a missionary who came to our church, and and uh, you know, a godly man, but 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 this was something that got mentioned from the from the pulpit was was, and I was surprised. I I, I just read your book, and and when it, and it happened, and it and it caught me off guard, and I tried. I tried, to, I tried to divert, but then someone asked a question even more about this. They said, you know, Muslims were being converted. They're hearing, they're seeing this guy in a white, you know, this big tall stick figure, and they're being converted. And I'm just, I'm shaking my head, you know. I'm just, and, and I was, I was glad you dealt with that in the book because I was able to, because there was a lot of people. I mean, what that does is, is that just opens up the door for a lot of people to ask a lot of questions, you know, and and mm-hmm. and it really leads down a bad path of of a lot of gobbledygook, if you will. And so I was able to point to that in this in this 
text, you know, in this what you what you uh, uh, wrote about here, and, and using some of those, just just the uh, uh, just just disproving, you know, uh, some of those things, and how to how to have an apologetic. Really, really, this book is an apologetic, if you will, you know, in yeah. in in, yeah. in this type of theology. You know, Jim, one of the things that I, as we read, as I read this, and as the readers, as they they read this book, you're, we're going to notice that. The majority of these HVG teachers, <clears throat> these 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 teachers who teach on hearing the voice of God, and they, they lay out these methodologies. Every time that they use scripture to back up uh, their methodology, if you will, every time they've taken it out of context. Correct. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it is amazing how. Um you know, as I go through the the, um, the passages that deal with these practices, the still small voice, open and closed doors, putting out a fleece, having a piece about it, feeling led, etc. The passages that they quote are sometimes, you know, they're they're relying upon sometimes individual words or phrases within a passage, and you have to ignore the context in order to to, to build this theology of hearing from God in some of these places um, in Scripture. And so it, 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 all I try and do in each chapter is say, here's the teaching of what they say regarding this practice, and here's the verse that they quote, and here's what they say the verse teaches. Now let's look at the verse and see, does the verse really teach this? And oftentimes what we find is, not only does the verse not teach that, it's not dealing with that in the context at all, but what the verse and the passage actually teach is something entirely different than what they say that the passage actually teaches, uh, sometimes the exact opposite of what they say in the passage teaches. Well, that should that should show up throw up a red flag uh, uh, beyond just this, you know, as if they can't teach some of the basic verses, you know, some of these simple verses here with reading in context. We ought to we may need to steer clear of them altogether if they can't teach these. But anyway, uh, I'll digress on that. Yeah. But you know, uh, I, I think we have to we have to be very careful. And context is king. I mean, we talk we talk about this on Life Song uh, uh, Radio a lot. That's why we go through. Uh, uh, that's you know, our moniker is uh, line by line, verse by verse. You know, uh, is that. Yeah. You, you want to stay in context, read the Bible that way, right? Study Scripture that way in context. And, and that would, man, you, you're talking about getting rid of almost 99% of, 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 of a lot of this, just this, this mess that we see here, just a lot of unbiblical things. And, and, and so, you know, and I think one of the things that, that really helped me when you were writing this and as you, as you, as you got to the end of it and you, you, you know, something like laying out a fleece, right? Uh, you know, a, a, God, I'm gonna, you know, lay out this fleece A or B, or or um, uh, being led, or dreams. Even you, you said something that very helpful yeah. is, is look, if 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 this is a way that God's going to speak to us, and this is very important for our lives and godliness, if we're to, if this is how we're to operate, don't you think the Apostle Paul or Peter or or the, the New Testament writers would have been more? Wouldn't we have had a little bit more uh, instruction <laughs> within Scripture, yeah. you know, to, to 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 know how to deal with some of these things? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. There's so many problems that come up with trying to employ this hearing from God theology. So many inconsistencies and challenges that come up, and and yet you. You, you can appeal to Scripture to try and find out, how do I resolve this? And there's nothing in Scripture about it. There's no example in anywhere in Scripture of anybody using a, let's just take a fleece, for instance, to make a decision. They say, well, what about Gideon? Well, Gideon put out a fleece not to make a decision, but he was asking God to confirm what he already understood and knew was the revealed will of God. He was using the fleece in order to 
basically asked God for a supernatural sign because Gideon was a coward. Gideon was afraid. Yep. And God was asking him or, or, or commanding him to do something, and Gideon was in fear. So he asked God for a supernatural sign to demonstrate that God was with him, and this is what God wanted. But if you read that whole account of Gideon, Gideon knew exactly what God had commanded. It was very clear, and Gideon had resisted it, and Gideon had had multiple conversations with God about what God wanted him to do, and yet Gideon was fearful. Gideon didn't need the fleece to reveal the will of God, because the question was not, should I go uh, deliver your people from the Midianites or not? God had already revealed to Gideon (laughs) that that was what was supposed to happen, that he was supposed to be the instrument through which he would deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. So that was already revealed. Gideon didn't need any further revelation. The, the fleece was, if anything, tempting God or, or really, it was almost an act of unbelief on Gideon's part when he did the fleece. And so then yeah. HVG teachers say, well, there's nothing more precious than putting out a fleece. I mean, you, you can't make any decision unless you get some sort of divine confirmation uh, of a fleece. And, and most people don't even use the fleece the way that Gideon did. Yeah. And not only did they abuse Gideon in, in making him an example of making decisions, which he wasn't making a decision with the fleece, but then, then they don't even really follow his example because they will use a fleece like, well, you know, um, if, if Susie's the girl you want me to date, then when I call, have her pick up on the first ring. And if she's not the girl you want me to date, then when I call, have it not be picked up on the first ring, but go to voicemail or some other ring. And they use that as a, as a fleece, as, as if God is supposed to direct them to how many times the phone rings when they call Susie uh, to ask her out. Well, that's, that's not the type of fleece that Gideon used. Gideon asked for a supernatural sign. So if you're going to be, if you're going to be biblical and using a fleece, then, then put it all out there and ask for a supernatural sign. Say, you know, for me to marry Susan, then make my apple tree bear peaches this fall. If you want me to marry Jane, then make my truck levitate off the ground. Ask for some Gideon-like fleeces, but most people don't do that. They, they want to, they, they usually construct a fleece that will confirm what they already want or what they already desire, or a fleece that is so general, so vague, that they're able to read God's instructions into that, however it is that they actually, what are, whatever it is that they actually already want. And then they end up doing what they already want, which is, is the way that I argue that we ought to be making decisions so long as it doesn't violate God's moral will or wisdom. Yeah, and I want to come to that here in just a few minutes to wrap this thing up here. But so, so I mean, if if we don't hear, so if God doesn't is not speaking in still small voices, it, it, you know, and he's and we're not to be laying out fleeces and and um, we're not to uh, we're not you know being God is not speaking to us in this way and 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 and, and promptings and nudgings, I, you know how 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 are we supposed to hear from God, Jim? If this was a relationship. Well, <clears throat> well we hear from God in, in, in Scripture, and that is what I say is, is God's Word to us. When I read Genesis 1-1 through the end of the book of Revelation, I'm reading the Word of God, I'm reading God's revelation. Now, my job is to interpret that. My job is to find the principles, find the teaching, to understand it in its context, to, to glean the moral teachings out of it, and the principles, the wisdom out of it. That's my job as, as a student of Scripture. When I'm reading even a genealogy, I'm reading what God has said. It's authoritative, inerrant, and infallible. It's accurate. It's truthful. And, uh, and so that is how we hear God speak in Scripture. But it's not when we hear God speak in Scripture. It's not that we read Scripture and then a verse pops off of the page and comes alive with some new meaning that it never meant. 
um, it's an old adage that if, if the passage of Scripture did not mean that to the original audience, it does not mean that to you. We don't take Scripture and make it um, a private little magic eight ball where it has some meaning to me that is unique and nobody else would have recognized in all of church history, but that meaning is my personal my personal meaning. That's a reader-response approach to Scripture. It's a deconstructionist, postmodern, truth-is-relative response to Scripture. That's not how we treat Scripture. But I take Scripture, and, and I, I read through it. I see what the meaning of it is. I find out what the principles of it are, and I apply that to my life. Um, that's how we hear God speak. That's just such a great point, and and so we can hear. <laughs> we can hear God speak, and I've heard people make fun of this uh, uh within our own community, but I, I think it's so true. I think Justin Peters has said this. I don't know how it's come about, but, you know, I, I'm going to say it again is uh, you you want to uh, uh, you want to hear God speak, read his word. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. You know, I know that's just a funny quip thing, yeah. but it's true is God has spoken. Uh, there, there is no right. if, ands, or buts. God, God speaks, and He has spoken, and it is written within the sixty-six books that are authoritative. They are infallible. They, uh, uh, they are so weighty upon our lives. And, and here's the thing: we don't need any extra biblical revelation. We got enough in these book right here that would last us ten thousands of lifetimes. You know, oh, yeah. you know. I know you as an expositor. I mean, you just you open it up every day, and just something new just pops out. You know, it just the the more and more we study, just the more and more depth it becomes. And we need to be focusing on what we have in front of us rather than trying to invent something that out of out of context that we that we that the teachers these these teachers they don't even get it right some of the simplest verses you know if you just read the context simple so so let's stick with scripture that's what i tell my students when i disciple them is sola scriptura it, it is the bible alone that is what we stand upon is the word of god and it is it has been preserved for us and uh and that needs to be our life i told a boy the other day i said it is you know he was he was just saying man i'm, I'm struggling with my my bible reading i said i understand that we go through seasons i said but that's our life this this is it yeah. right here and so uh you, you know and you don't need anything more it lacks <clears throat> nothing that you need something outside Amen. of Scripture for you to make decisions or to live a God-glorifying, God-honoring life in this world. He has provided everything necessary for life and godliness, everything necessary for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for every good work. You are completely equipped with Scripture. You need nothing more. And the minute we begin to say, well, yeah, Scripture's good, but I also need to have this, then you're admitting a belief in some lack in Scripture, that you're, you're you're confessing that you do not believe it is sufficient. It is enough that God has not given to you everything you need to live a life that honors Him. You need something more, and that's a slight upon Scripture. It's a slight upon the knowledge, the wisdom, the providence, and the goodness of God. Absolutely, and and so so, yeah, I ask this question. Uh, you know, so what? Right. I mean, this is kind of one of the Bible drills that we do is we read through Scripture. All right. What does it say? You know, what it, what does it say about God? But so what? All right. I mean, okay. So, so, so what? What is the, what is the ramifications if I continue to do this, Jim? I mean, what is, what, you know, if, if, uh, what, what harm and foul is, is in this if I, if I do this? We've talked about this, but so what? Well, I, I think one of the, the big dangers that most people do not consider is that when you say that God spoke to me and He told me this, you know, quote, unquote, and you put something in there that you think God has revealed to you, 
what you're really doing is you're putting words in God's mouth that he has not said. And if you want to know how he feels about that, you should read through Isaiah, Jeremiah particularly, mm. where God says, you know, you, the prophets say that they came from me, but I did not send them. They spoke, but I did not send them to speak. God takes his word very seriously. And when we are saying God has said something, we're making a claim about what God himself has revealed. So we're making a claim about his will or his word or his revelation or his nature or his character or his authority. We're saying something about God. And when we put words in his mouth that he hasn't said, I believe that that's an act of blasphemy. I believe that we're slighting God's character and nature by saying he has said this when he has not said it. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation. I've certainly been in a situation where people will say, well, I heard you say one time, or you said to me, and they'll say they'll quote you and say something you never said, and something you would never say. <laughs> and time. when people misquote me, yeah, when people misquote me, or they they say, "Well, you said this," and it's not something I would ever say or would ever fall from my lips. I'm indignant, and mm. rightly so. Yeah. And if you quoted, if, if you said uh, to Beth Moore, uh, "Look, I heard you say one time that Jesus Christ is not God, and, and He's nothing but a demon," she would take great umbrage at that. She would she would not like the fact that you put words in her mouth that she never said. Well, she does this to God all the time. She put words in his mouth that he never said. I think that's one of the, the greatest dangers of this theology, is that we're claiming, thus saith the Lord, yeah. when we have no reason to say that unless we are quoting Scripture, and we're quoting it accurately in its context so that what we're quoting actually communicates the meaning of that, God's intended meaning. Unless we're doing that, we're putting words in God's mouth, and he takes great umbrage at that. And you see it all the way through the prophets when, when he condemns people for saying, that the prophets, the false prophets, said something that he did not send them to say. Yeah, yeah, he is very clear on that. There is no, re, like right. you said, read through those scriptures and you'll really realize really quickly that God is serious about His word. And so, yeah, th- there are dangers to this. In fact, you know, I would say Christ, non-Christians, those who have not been born again, they speak this way too. They have these. They'll say that they have these same feelings as well. And 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 so yeah. we have to be very careful there. And and also. This can lead to this can lead to like you said blasphemy of God putting something on God that he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't put his stamp of approval on he didn't say that you know using these using that oh God told me to do that you know no no God did not and and you're actually calling you're you're, you're making God out to be the evil one God to be the liar uh, you know we we make making decisions based on unbiblical things right uh, laying out fleeces. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, these are they're very there are dangerous there are you know it, it, we we may use them loosely but but you've you've given us good uh, uh good warning here to, to maybe we, we need to we need to do better we need to slay this sacred cow if you will you know? yeah and when, when a lot of the other dangers are you're misrepresenting scripture and how scripture says god speaks to us when you say well i'm going to put out a fleece or add a piece about it or the lord revealed this to me you're misrepresenting how it is that god speaks and that says something about his nature God speaks in a certain way, and He has revealed certain things because His nature is a certain way, and He is a certain way, and He has chosen to work in a certain way. So when we say, well, you know, so what? I'm just going to go ahead and keep practicing this way and keep believing that God speaks to me in this way. Well, in doing so, you're in implicitly communicating something about Scripture, namely that's inadequate, it's insufficient. You're implicitly communicating something about the nature and character of God and how He speaks and what He has said and how He leads us, and these things are unbiblical. And if they're unbiblical practices, and their practices built upon verses wrenched from the context, and and made twisted and distorted into something unrecognizable to the original authors, which in all of these cases that I've described, that's what HBG teachers do with these passages. 
then then you are sliding your your practice is sliding scripture and misrepresenting God and misrepresenting scripture no matter how well intentioned you are in doing it that's the danger of it hmm. um, our intentions do not make something unbiblical biblical our feelings or our desires of, or our feelings of intimacy do not turn something that is patently unbiblical into a biblical God honoring practice just because it makes us feel that we have an intimacy with God that we desire such a such a good point and well said uh just just amazing so so <clears throat> just and wrap this up here in just a few minutes but just a couple more questions uh you know if we aren't to listen for the voice of God if we if we're not to put out a fleece and 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 wait for direction from a man in our dreams <laughs> how is it other you know yes we are you know we are to look at scripture but how is it that we're to make decisions biblically Jim, I, I know so you lay this it, out, but but help me out here. Yeah, in 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 my book, I talk about um, how the apostles made decisions because I think that there is a, I think that there is a pattern that we see in the New Testament with the apostles. Now, a lot of people will a lot of people will point to the apostles and say, "Well, look, those are people who were constantly directed by God in every step that they take." Well, in my book, I, I list fourteen examples in Scripture where the apostles received direct divine guidance from God, where the Holy Spirit spoke or the Holy Spirit moved them, or it says that God gave them a revelation to direct them to do X, Y, or Z, or choose A over B, or whatever. Only 14 examples in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts covers a 30-year period of time. Keep in mind that these were apostles, and yet there's only 14 examples of that. And then when you look at those examples, what you find is that, number one, the apostles were not seeking that extra divine revelation. They were not expecting that extra-biblical divine revelation. They were not anticipating any of those special revelations from God. And all of those examples were either to the apostles or to people directly or very closely associated with the apostles' ministry. And then further, most of those 14 had to do with the worldwide expansion of the gospel. In other words, it was taking the message of the gospel to Bithynia and not going in, or sorry, into Macedonia, and not going into Bithynia or to Asia Minor, or it had to do with setting aside Paul and Barnabas for the ministry to which uh, the Holy Spirit had called them. So, you know, that that type of decision-making or that type of special revelation you see in Acts is entirely different than the little old lady in the Southern Baptist pew trying to decide whether to have um, Chinese or Mexican for lunch after church and waiting for a sign from God to make that decision, or whether she should buy the blue car or the red car. Um, can, can you not see the difference in those two kinds of decisions? The way people expect to be guided today is, you know, should I take the job in Minneapolis or should I take the job in uh, Boise? Um, they want revelation for that. Well, that's not the kind of job, that's not the kind of revelation the Spirit gave in the book of Acts. It had to do with the worldwide expansion of the gospel ministry to all the ends of the earth as promised in chapter 1. So then that raises the question, then what does the Bible say about us making decisions? You know, you, you and I who are not apostles, you and I who are not given extra-biblical revelation, how are we to make decisions? Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's a lot more simple than most people make it out to be. I think that God gives us thousands of decisions to make each and every day. Some of them are huge decisions, some of them are small decisions, and we don't have any way of knowing whether a decision is a massive one or a small one. I have no way of knowing whether the, the interview that I decided to do with you today was just me doing something for a friend, or whether this is going into something small, or whether this has such a tremendous impact for eternity that I cannot even possibly foresee it. I have no way of knowing that. I have no way of knowing whether our decision to do an audio interview over a video interview 
was monumental or completely insignificant. There's no way of me knowing that up front. Um, and yet there are big decisions that we make each and every day. There are, there are things that we think might be small decisions that could have monumental and eternal impact. But we have no way of knowing that up front. So we have to have a, a method of making decisions that is applicable across the board. It's the same whether I'm choosing which tie to, to wear or which, which restaurant to go to for lunch or which woman to marry, which house to buy, which job to take. And the methodology is this. In all the decisions that we make, we look at God's moral revealed will in Scripture. And he has given us those in the Ten Commandments. So I know that it's wrong to have a job where I'm required to steal or I'm required to blaspheme or I'm required to lie, etc. Then I look at wisdom and I say, does the Scripture tell me anything about what is a wise choice in this situation? So I might read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and I look for the principles in Scripture. And if, I, if, if there is nothing in Scripture, if there's nothing in my decision that violates God's moral will, and it is in keeping with sound biblical divine wisdom, which is revealed in Scripture, I'm not making a foolish decision, then I'm free to do what I want with God's blessing. And that doesn't mean that God is unconcerned with what I do. It does mean that God is, is not concerned with which decision I make, that whichever decision I make will be God's will, and He will use it to accomplish His purposes. Well, that's that, it. Uh, that's what, now, to go back to what we started with at the beginning of the podcast, that's how I made the decision to go back to Bible college. At the end of the day, I really wanted to go back to Bible college. There's, there's not a violation of God's moral will for me to go back for second year. It was certainly a wise thing to do, and it didn't violate sound wisdom for me to go back to a second year. And so I could choose at that moment to either go back for a second year Bible college or not, and God would have used either one of those choices to, to guide me in His steps. Now, I ended up choosing what I really wanted to do, which was to go back to Bible college. It turns out that that was God's will, and it was the right decision to make, and God used it, I think, for His glory. What a what a, again? We talked about this earlier. What a weight lifted off our shoulder, right? There is freedom in in our choices that God gives us. If it if it lines up with the Bible, right? There are things He He puts into place. Yeah. He gives us guidelines. He gives us bumpers on the side to say, no, you stay within these, right? I have I have given you dema- uh, commands in which you follow, but yet there are some there are there are choices that we'll be making that if they fall within that, then you have the freedom to make those choices with your career, with your wife, with the <laughs> with the turkey you want to baste or you know you want to go to the store and buy it, you don't you don't have to lay out a fleece to go do these things you know you don't have to feel led to go to 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 uh to go to africa or whatnot no they, you know god is he 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 has spoken and 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 there are freedom within some of the decisions and that, that is such a weight lifted off our shoulders it, right. you know it, it, we talk about the dangers of it of the theology you know there, but but look at the freedom within this theology Look at look at uh, just the uh, just just what God has given us, and that just so it's so freeing. I, I don't know any other word yeah. to say. Is is uh, it, it's 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 it delightful. Is, it takes a burden off. It of does. Us. This this methodology can never be applied uh, consistently because the ch- shirt that I chose to wear today could have massive ramifications for all of eternity. I have no way of knowing that. Right. But I'm not going to stand in front of my closet and say, "Okay, Lord, I, here's here's a fleece. If you want me to choose." This shirt over this shirt that I need to sign. I need you to give me an impression or an edging. I grabbed this shirt because I wanted a uh, I wanted a t-shirt, a light shirt for today, and something that would look good in case you and I did a video interview. That, that's, that was the basis of the show. I didn't ask God which shirt to wear. Um, it turns out that this shirt could have uh, huge ramifications for all of eternity. It just yeah. might be that way. We have no way of knowing that. And so this methodology of, of uh, making decisions is a way of, it, it's freeing, it's God-honoring. I'm trusting in the Lord to use 
to, to use whatever decision I make to guide me in uh, his sovereign will and what he has not revealed to me in Scripture and his purposes for me, and I'm trusting him to accomplish that. And I believe that he will. Now, now there are decisions that I make and things that I do that I bathe in prayer. It's not to say I don't pray sure. about anything, because there are other things that I think are very consequential that require a lot of thought and a lot of wisdom, and i got to bring my mental energies, my spiritual uh, gifts, my spiritual understanding, my knowledge of Scripture to bear upon a subject and situation. It requires a lot of thinking. So in a situation like that, I'm not praying God reveal to me whether to choose this guy as an elder or that guy as an elder at our next elders meeting. My, my prayer is, Lord, help me to make a decision in keeping with Scripture. Hmm. Bring to my mind the appropriate Scriptures. Help me to be discerning and thoughtful and considerate and, and wise in what I am doing. Help me to, to know in my mind what Scripture says concerning this so I can make a God-honoring decision in this situation and bring to my mind what is necessary for me to understand truth and then to act and walk in accordance with truth. That's my prayer. I'm not asking for fleeces. I'm not asking for impressions, mm. promptings, nudgings, signs, open doors, closed doors. I'm not asking for any of that. I'm asking for God to bathe my mind and my heart in wisdom and truth so that I can make a God-honoring decision that's in accordance with His Word. That's how we make decisions. Uh, Even the big ones. Yeah. Uh, that's so That's so freeing, so great to, to, to just just to to hear that and and I think this book really captures that and I would say well I I I want to uh plug something else here in just a few minutes but uh I want to I want to wrap up here real quickly but I do want to ask a question uh Jim uh we we've 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 talked about this and 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 a question from one of our listeners that uh sent me a question earlier when I told you I was going to uh interview with you and um you know there there what what do you do just, just some, just some wisdom here. If you give me some counsel from a pastor, what do you do with with a pastor <clears throat> uh, that maybe, maybe you're looking for a church, or you, you you've come to find this church, and this pastor has, uh, man, he's he's sound, he's biblically sound, uh, you know, he's uh, he's he's re- reformed, or he's he's solid in his biblical teaching, right? He he, he preaches biblical soul searching sermons, uh, pr- uh, biblical in his approach to the church with church discipline. They they get all this right, but yet in 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 discussing with them. And talking with him, he 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 throws out this. Uh, God told me this, you know, or God God said for me to do this in my ministry this way. What what do you do with that? You know, how how are we to react to that? <clears throat> well, I, I I try and give a little bit of grace here because sometimes we use, as I said earlier, we use phrases which is caught up in the Christian verbiage, um, and and this these these phrases have worked themselves into the evangelical vernacular so deeply that sometimes people use phrases or words that are not in keeping with their theology. So I think in a situation like that, I would go and I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I want to sit down and I want to, I want to say, look, pastor, I appreciate your preaching. I appreciate your doctrine. There's something that you say that I think might be just like um, a, a phrase that is, is worked its way into your vocabulary. I kind of want to know what you mean by this when you say this. And, and I, I think that maybe you and I are on the same page, but it might be that you're using a phrase that I think communicates something that I don't think you intend to communicate. So I just want to challenge you maybe to think about how you're speaking about this, because I think it might be communicating something you don't intend to say. Um, and then you could offer to give them a copy of the book if you wanted to, you know, or just, or you just want to challenge them to, to think through the verbiage that you're using. And maybe you get a pastor who said, man, I, you know, I, really, I, I wasn't even intending to think or intending to communicate that God is speaking to us outside of his word. 
Uh, never even thought that anybody would read that. I thought into what I was saying. I just thought that what I was trying to say was that in the providence of God, he was guiding my steps in this way, and I can see it now in hindsight. Well, that's, that's biblical terminology. Maybe he's just using using the phrases, the lingo, to communicate uh, other biblical ideas, but it's, it's causing a disconnect in your mind, in which case, you, you know, I would just... I would try and approach him and say, look, I'd, just for the glory of God and for the sake of communicating truth clearly and accurately and really in, 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 in um, drilling down into people's consciousness what it is that truth says and what God means, I just want to challenge you to think through some of this terminology and maybe tighten it up a little bit mm. so that you're not miscommunicating with people. And, and um Here's a book. Read through this and give me your thoughts. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, you can try something like that. <laughs> That's a real. I, I wouldn't want to just say, "Hey, he uses that phrase and it grates me," and I and I want to bail on him. Uh, finding finding pastors that preach expositional sermons that are doctrinally sound, mm-hmm. that really desire to be obedient to the Lord and they shepherd their sheep. Those type of men are so rare in our day. I get emails from people from all over the country. This is no joke. A couple of months where people say, "You know, I just can't even find a church in our area." Mm-hmm. And with the nearest church that is, is anywhere close to biblical is 100 miles away. There are people just starving to death all over the country spiritually because they cannot find that type of a pastor. If you find that type of a pastor and it's just this vernacular, this verbiage that grates on you, I would, I would stick with him as long as you possibly can. And the minute he comes out and says, look, I got a personal revelation from God, and, and God appeared to me in a vision, and he told me this, and this is God's will for our church. When he says that, I'm, I'm out the door before he even puts a period at the end of the sentence. But if it's just that verbiage that's communicating other activities of God, I just would want to challenge him to tighten that up and try Absolutely. and try and get him to, to think of this in a biblical way and communicate it in a biblical way. And that would be for the health of the entire body if he's able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't want we want to be very careful. We want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And 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 I think that is just a call for all of us, Jim. Is maybe we I think we all need to obviously sanctification. We all need to probably tighten up our vernacular regardless. You know, I know I do. I know this book has helped me to to tighten that up and be very, very uh cautious and very careful with the words that I use, you know, making like we talked about earlier, is using biblical words, you know, using words that are from the Bible and, and we, we can't go wrong with that, you know. Uh so uh, uh man, you know, this has been one Wonderful. I don't. I hope our listeners have have gotten uh, so much from this. In fact, we you don't need to read the book anymore. I mean, we just basically went through the whole book. But uh, no, uh, I, I want to say uh, th- th- this is to me. This is yes, the book is wonderful. <laughs> it is awesome. But the shining star is just this little wording up here at the at the top of this book. It, it, right up under Jim Osmond, <laughs> it says "Afford" by John MacArthur. I, I I don't know about you, but that would be I would just gloat in that. That forever. Uh, what, well, I'll tell you what, if you, it, uh, I, I tell people the foreword is the best part of the book. If you read the foreword, <laughs> you've read the entire book. You've got the, the salient details. If you don't like my writing, just buy it for the foreword. Read the foreword and <laughs> camp on that. There's nothing else that needs to be said. M- MacArthur says MacArthur says more in, in three pages than you do in the whole book, right? <laughs> or he says what That's you were right, trying to yep. say in three pages. So, uh, yeah, no. I, I got to the end of that and I thought, man, if I, I should just ask John to write the foreword and I could have just published that. Uh, well, it, it, it would sell, I promise you. What he touches is gold. Now, John MacArthur, I mean, I know, you, you, I know you've probably got a lot of your, your teaching from him or your learning from him. Uh, I just, oh, I'm just so. So 
I, I just love him. He is our he is yep. uh, uh, he is our Martin Luther of the day, and he's continuing to stand strong. and And I just think that is such an honor, uh, Jim. That just to me that shows that sh- to me that that elevates what this book is. And and and, I, and I'm not putting John MacArthur on a, a pedestal, if you will. I mean, it just no. sh- but he is. I mean, he he's so he's a great man yeah. who is worthy of respect. <clears throat> And uh, he he has done a great service to the church and I truly, I truly love him. I I don't, Mm. I don't know him well. I I don't know that he would know me at all actually, but um, I truly love the man. I respect him and um, he he is worthy of honor because he has been an honorable man. Amen. And uh, the church has benefited greatly because of his ministry. Amen. So thankful for him. So I, I, that is, that is wonderful. Uh, But, but I want to just want to ask our audience to get this book if you can. And and Hey, if you, if you hang around Phil and I, you'll, you'll get it because we'll give it to you. In fact, uh, Jim had sent us 20 copies and we were handing them out. We're Handing them out to people, and we want to we won't get we want to get this in everybody's hand. If I, it's like a gospel track to me, I want to hand it out and say, "Here, read this." You know, pass it on. Let's 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 get this into the hands of people. And, and Jim has been gracious enough to uh, he's going to provide us five copies to give away. So, uh, Jim, thank you for that. What we'll do is I'm not going to do that on this hey, show, well. but what we'll do is we'll attach this to the show, and we'll do something on our Facebook or something. So look for it on on our Facebook page. Phil handles all that. That we'll, if you I don't know how we'll do that. If you you know first person to email us, I'm not. sure sure but 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 be look for that and you can receive a possibly a free copy uh, of this book and then man use it read it write in it take notes go back and look at it again uh but jim i want to i want to thank you for your friendship i want to thank you that you and i've never even met but i want to thank you again <laughs> for doing this um uh you know we have a mutual friend in jimmy jam right oh jimmy jam over at wretched radio uh he is uh oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have told him, you know, my name's obviously Jim, and my mom nicknamed me Jimmy Jam years ago. And when I was listening to Wretched and I heard Todd call him Jimmy Jam, that sent chills down my spine. It almost made me physically sick. I thought, not only did somebody else have the same nickname as me, but hearing Todd Friel use the nickname that my mom and only my mom uses of me, that was just, that was chilling. And I, I sent Jimmy a, a, a note and I said that was almost more than I could bear. <laughs> you guys are soul brothers, man. It was meant to be. I tell you, oh, we never called him Jimmy Jam, you know, and I don't know, Todd just comes up with this, but it's hilarious. You know, he's always been known as Handsome Jimmy Hicks. I mean, that was his radio moniker, you know, he's, uh, he's that was his, from, from high school, that was always it. So for him to get that name, I just laughed when Todd, you know, did that to him. So, but anyway, uh, Jim, thank you. Good luck with the book. I hope it continues to sell. I, and I know you're not doing it for the funds. I know you want to, you're, you're, you're faithful to the word. You want to get this into people's hands because that's just the man you are. I know this. And, and folks, uh, I, I just ask, Hey, as you listen to us on the Christian podcast community, uh, there's, there's so many of those people on it. Jim is on there as well. You can listen to his sermons. Trust me, you will be blessed. Have your notepad out, uh, your pen and paper out and write notes Jim is he's going through. I think you're walking through Hebrews now. Still, uh, I, I'm still I'm a little bit behind. Yeah, but Hebrews chapter ten right now. Great. So, uh, Jim, thank you. Anything else? You, anything else that you have to that you want to say? Or no, Blake. I would just say thank you for the opportunity to to be part of this teaching with your audience, and um, I pray that the Lord uses this in the podcast and what we've gone through here for His glory. 
Thank Amen. you. I appreciate it. Amen. Folks, we want to uh, thank you again for listening. You can always join us on lifesongradio.com. Go to our internet page, our webpage, and check us out. Uh, you can also go to uh, Lifesong uh, uh, Radio on Facebook and check us out and kind of see what's going on. You can hear this this podcast and many more, our, our weekly Bible teaching. Uh, hey, Jimmy, I, uh, I want to, uh, I said Jimmy, but Jim, Jimmy Jam, can you help me? Uh, yeah. I want to I point people to you as well. What? Give me a, a website or, or how can they, uh, you may not want them reaching out to you, but what, give me some, some details. Uh, you can go to jimosman.com. It's kind of a hub for my books. Or you can go to kootenaychurch.org, and that's uh, K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I church.org. And uh, you'll see the podcast and the sermons, all our teachings there. Of course, links to the books and such. Um, uh, I think that I think my personal website, jimosman.com, is linked to the church, and the church is probably linked to me. So in either place, you're going to have access to both. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, folks. We hope to see you back next week for another episode of Life Song Radio. You've been listening to Life Song Radio. You can follow us on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to continue to study throughout the week, check out the resources available on our website at lifesongradio.com. See you next week for another episode of Life Song Radio.